Hey folks, this is Walker, one of the hosts of Idio Talk. Just wanted to let you know that this is an episode Zach and I recorded remotely in our own homes, and unbeknownst to me, I was not recording my audio into my handheld microphone, but instead was getting picked up by the computer mic in my laptop. So there is a slight difference in audio quality between Zach's voice and mine, and I just didn't want you to be thrown by that. We had a great conversation that I think you're really going to enjoy. Today we're discussing Tom York's second solo album, Tomorrow's Modern Boxes. And even though it was unintentional, I think having a kind of rushed and sloppy production style really kind of matches this album that we're here to discuss today. So it all worked out. All right, that's it. Enjoy the episode. Once again, this is Idiotalk, a Radiohead podcast. Pretty sure I said that up top. I am Walker Glenn. I'm Zach Glenn. First of all, we're a week out from our Yelp review and email oh, uh-huh. coming out. Sure. That, that's been a huge hit with the listeners. They loved it. Oh, really? Right? They oh, loved okay. seeing that peek in. And we know that listeners have really, really enjoyed the surfboard anecdote. Oh, Because yes. that's something Absolutely. that's come back. So... So I've, I'm thinking about the listeners and and it's like, what other morsels from the past can I give them? And I remembered something about you, Zach. Oh, okay. All right. Let me ask you a leading question here. Sure. Did you ever, as a kid, have an imaginary friend? Mm, uh, yeah, I believe there was a brief period in which I did. <laughs> okay, well... Here's here's what I remember about having an imaginary friend. I I remember a little period where I had an imaginary friend. And when I think about it, I really cringe because what I know now looking back so on I'm it. I'm not excited is, about where this is going. Yeah, well, this is this is oh see, I cringe because I think that me having an imaginary friend was very performative and I was doing it because it was like this thing of like, oh, this is like a precocious, I obviously didn't have that vocabulary to to think this consciously. But looking back on it, it's like, oh, I'm kind of being precocious. This is like Mm -hmm. a cute kid thing to do. Mm -hmm. It was this like totally inorganic thing, Mm -hmm. you know, where it's like, oh, like Walker has an imaginary friend. He's such an imaginative kid, you know, am I? type of a thing like oh oh is it like is everyone kind of noticing that i have an imaginary friend you know type of a thing inwardly you were thinking i'm fooling everybody because i'm shallow and pedantic to build on your (laughs) big vocabulary as a child yeah exactly i I don't know that pedantic applies to this (laughs) but not to be pedantic (laughs) but i don't know if that word applies well you were a kid yeah exactly but Zach, when I think about you having an imaginary friend, to me, this seems like a much more true expression of kind of who you were and are. And I say that Mm. because I remember one thing about your imaginary friend, and I Mm. remember that your imaginary friend had a name. Mm -hmm. 
And are you comfortable telling the listeners what the name of your imaginary friend was? No, you can go ahead. You're carrying the story. It's all right. <laughs> no, I think you. I think I've said. I think I've. Uh, I believe that the uh, the. Now, do you believe friend. or do you know? <laughs> I know is his name was uh, Josh Brown. <laughs> I don't understand why this is so funny. I don't get it. <laughs> You really don't get why that's funny. No, I kind of do, but I it's just want your. So funny. Can it's I give so a little insight? Funny. Yes, please. I don't know anything to... about Josh Brown. Well, I don't I, either. It's... Okay. So, so Go here's, ahead. here's the thing. So, uh, you had mentioned that, like, maybe the reason for you know uh, creating this imaginary friend, which I did put in quotes. So that's I don't know if grammatically that would be unnecessary or not, but for a more like performative angle or whatnot. I do think that that influenced me as well, whether, you know, cause I don't know when I was doing this, like how far behind you it was or not. So there's, I'm sure there was that subconsciously, but I think that in like animated films in like the late eighties and early nineties, there's a lot of weird ones that our generation, even though we have three years between us, like can like, recall that we're not disney they're like this weird off-brand pre-dreamworks thing like i think those are amblin oh okay. if i'm not so, mistaken yeah so there's all dogs go to heaven there's um there's there's this weird like green an american movie. tale um uh, an american tale and uh then there's one that's like really pro-environmentalism that i can't remember maybe it was Fern Gully. yes so i think that all know, make you feel weird they're all like deeply melancholy Yes, and I think that even though those movies don't feature an imaginary friend, I bet you from that era there is one. And even those themselves sort of feel like a bad acid trip a little bit. Mm. So I do think that, you know, pre-smartphone, pre-internet or whatever, even though, you know, at least when wide availability, there might have been like a more a tendency, even if you weren't a complete loner weirdo, to have an imaginary friend. That's me really reaching. But... As to the why I may have created this thing, I think I was going through my first period of being like, everyone is annoying me that I know. Oh, really? <laughs> and so, yeah. And so, I'm, I mean, I'm definitely making this up post hoc, but like, not making it up, but like, this is me trying to recall. I do recall that feeling, but then being quickly abandoning it because I was like, having an imagination. Josh Brown is annoying me too. No. <laughs> well, like, yes, man, Josh Brown turned out to be a real chatterbox. <laughs> <laughs> it elicited, like, a lot of the response that's happening now of laughter and teasing, which I also did not like. Um, but I remember being like, oh, there's a lot of work that has to go into creating this imaginary friend, like, imagining the components of a personality. And I'm, fuck that. I don't. <laughs> so <laughs> I abandoned him as, a, uh, as an imaginary friend. I want to say, like, within. A day or two, but I could be wrong. For I might be sure, wrong. for sure. I, I, that's interesting. So it's like, yeah, like an imaginary friendship is like at this point the amount of like emotional labor I'm doing, I might as well put into a real friendship. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, or work on being more tolerant of the people around me. I like that. That the idea that you're like this like six year old misanthrope. <laughs> it's like yeah. it's like you're like the uh, mad scientist in uh, <laughs> in Nightmare Before Christmas, being like, "We'll have conversations worth having." <laughs> <laughs> but there is something so funny about mm-hmm. 
having an imaginary friend, which like, you know, it could be anything, right? Like it could mm-hmm. be in Calvin and Hobbes. It's like, a, it's, it's yeah. a, a living talking anthropomorphic tiger. It could be. Mm-hmm. There you uh, go. That probably influenced kids a lot more than it does. Sure. Tigers. Absolutely. Like, I, I agree with you. I do think there's something mm-hmm. that like imaginary friends were like, in the yeah. zeitgeist because yeah, i've yeah. never heard i've never heard ollie talk about it or any of his friends talk about it right. then again ollie has non-imaginary friends you and me did not necessarily <laughs> uh we, i mean we definitely only had each other more so than ollie because we were not raised in a big city but we did have for we weren't losers <laughs> listeners no, no <laughs> we became just, losers but not at that age <laughs> yeah we're losers now now i'm like none of my friends want to talk about radiohead with me so <laughs> i just talked to my brother um, but <laughs> oh my God, what if, what if Zach is my imaginary friend listeners? I'm that so would glad be... you corroborated though, that imaginary friends might've been more in the zeitgeist. That was a, a me going out on a limb with like no data to support it. So I feel satisfied. I don't have an ex- a specific example from, um, Calvin and Hobbes from media either. Yeah. We weren't really reading Calvin and Hobbes at this time. I don't think. Okay. All right, please but continue. in any case, I just I just think you're right. I think that for it to have occurred to me to start doing it and to like kind of be like, oh, am I <laughs> being cute? You know, like it means that it was out there. Um, mm-hmm. <laughs> but what I think is so funny is bothering to have an imaginary friend and then giving them the most milk toast mm-hmm. name. Like Josh Brown to me is the name of an insurance salesman. Mm-hmm. You know, or like an IT guy or just like just somebody who has a fake identity that maybe Ted Bundy would assume on the (laughs) (laughs) Oh, my God. If Zach ever like goes on a crime spree, he'll use the name (laughs) Josh Brown. Because, you know, that like those things do come back like Baron Trump, Baron Mm -hmm. Trump. Baron used to be the name Donald Trump would use. Mm -hmm. This is true. When he mm-hmm. would um, pretend to be his own assistant, yeah, or like I, give like just statements about this recently, yeah. So it's like then later he names his kid, and it's like, wow, okay. So you're like reaching back into like mm-hmm. you like made up characters from the Trumpiverse, <laughs> right? Also, like such low creativity. I mean, a baron is obviously a position in the royal hierarchy of England. And it's like, he may as well have just called himself like King Trump or something. But also he chose yeah. a mid-tier level of like relationship to the crown. Well, <laughs> nobody can nobody can have more power than him. But, oh, but yeah, everybody's right, right. yeah. But uh but anyway, as always, you have final cut here, but I just thought that. It was another interesting insight into kind of your character, like up mm. there with the fact that you, you know, watched 1989 Batman like every day for yeah. a year straight. I, mm-hmm. That that you also had a, it just to me, Zach, and this is a compliment, it just really speaks to, it's the earliest sign we have of kind of your like, your ability to think from both the right and left brain. Like that you are the kind of person who's like a creative and Mm -hmm. like, is like, I'm, I am a, like, I'm an intelligent kid with like, who, you know, like has a creative world. (laughs) Also the thing that I make up is (laughs) so (laughs) scoldly logical. (laughs) 
And so, yeah, I just think it's a really, I, I again, like, like, you know, what we purchased from mm-hmm. Universal City Walk. Mm-hmm. Speaking so much to who we are as adults, I think like my like everybody look at what I'm doing with this imaginary friend thing, and you're like, hello, have you met my imaginary friend, Josh Brown? Um, no, you can. He goes by Joshua as well. But, you know, we're all friends. We're all imaginary friends here, so you can call him Josh. Like it just speaks a lot to who we ended up being. Oh man, that made me blush. That was a very sweet uh, close down. But also, I feel like it was intentional or not a. And I'm not trying to usurp the transitioning here, Walker. This is this is no, please transition. I feel like I feel like Radiohead are very right and left brain. And by the way, listeners, I am of the belief that nobody is truly single track or single minded. We might have a tendency with what we ascribe to be either side, but I feel like Radiohead really exemplify that in their. Uh, music that they've made so well and I, I i mean i'm really thinking of johnny greenwood and tom york here and i know we're not talking about radiohead today necessarily but i think what's so cool is that while there is a great deal of precision and obviously musical talent vocabulary and all of that for for tom york he is sort of like a um i don't know the, but, but he's not as technically not obsessed, but like maybe proficient in the traditional sense of the word musically as Johnny Greenwood is. And I'm talking about the ability to read standard notation and conduct. Trained, and I think. Trained, trained for sure. Yeah. Um, yeah. And yet I think that's what makes Radiohead so great is a combination, that combination of both. I'll, I'll kind of let you take it from there because we're not talking Radiohead today, but we are talking one of the two people I just mentioned, are we not? Absolutely. We're talking about Tom York's second solo album today. Mm-hmm. 2014's tomorrow's modern boxes now this is right on the heels of us talking about 2013's side project adams for peace and their Mm -hmm. album amok so i think that you know listeners who have been following along they know as we discuss these things outside of radiohead's catalog we attempt to do them in a chronological order. So we're still going through the Radiohead studio discography, but we take these detours along the way when the band was in hiatus. So now we've gone Mm -hmm. from a Radiohead side project in 2013 to a Tom solo album in 2014. This is part of what ends up being a pretty lengthy hiatus for the band before Mm -hmm. their, as of now, last studio album, A Moon-Shaped Pool. So I'm, I'm glad that we're getting to stop over. Me too. I'm saying all that, Zach, to mm-hmm. let the listeners take a rare peek behind our curtain here. Oh, okay. And say... You're just now doing that, not, not in talking about my imaginary friend. <laughs> no, that's just, that's just me blowing up that's your spot. That's surface level shit. Yeah. That's surface level shit that I just casually toss off because it doesn't affect me. So right, right. this is... <laughs> This is about my show that I do with you, Idiot Talk Radiohead Podcast. Something that I I've, I've been more protective of than your privacy, mm-hmm. right? <laughs> um, this this is a little bit of a last minute decision mm-hmm. that we decided to do this album. Zach and yeah. I, we, we know we're getting toward the end of Radiohead's discography, and we had. 
done Tom's first solo album, The Eraser, because mm-hmm. we both love the album and have listened to it mm-hmm. for years. And and it felt like, okay, we're not like it's we're not doing every single we're being pretty thorough, but it's not like we're doing all three of Phil's solo albums, thank God. Mm-hmm. And you know, we're not doing like every bit of soundtrack work that Johnny Greenwood ever did. So it mm-hmm. felt like we're representing each of these kind of solo or side projects that the band members have by kind of doing stopping over at one point in that. But mm-hmm. I don't know. I kind of last minute, I think I hit Zach up and, and was like, it almost kind of seems like a shame to get mm-hmm. this far into the discography and not be more completist about it. And the other thing was, is I know that we both have a lot to say about Tom York's third solo album, Anima. And yes, it just dude. and it just it just seemed wrong to, to do skip. his yeah. his first and third one. So all that to say, listeners, Zach and I had an emergency meeting where we were like, mm-hmm. we gotta, we gotta get this done because we mm-hmm. got to put this out in chronological order. And that means that we two weeks have ago. Both, <laughs> well, we both had to cram a little bit because yeah. neither of us I think that I think that you hear us uh you hear Zach hear of this album for the first time on our mm-hmm. Eraser episode. And mm-hmm. I had only just learned about it in researching about the Eraser. So this is this is the and I'm only comfortable telling the listeners this because this is, I would say, the only time we have crammed for this podcast. Mm -hmm. Every other time we've laid out what we're going to do, given ourselves plenty of time to marinate in the album that we're going to be discussing. Mm -hmm. This album I have been listening to for the last few days, and now we're talking about it. The Mm -hmm. other reason I am comfortable letting the listeners know that this Mm -hmm. was a little bit last minute, aside from the fact that this is the only time that we've been last minute, Mm because I just don't want them to... Listeners, I don't want you to think that we just like toss these off. We put blood, sweat, and tears into each episode. Mm -hmm. We bleed for you, listeners. But I think, Zach, in our Mm -hmm. quest to mirror the arc of the band. Ooh, I like where you're going. With this podcast, right? Famously, our Kid A episode was our Kid A. Mm -hmm. Right? People, we did something very different than our listeners expected. But mm-hmm. it turned out to be the most brilliant thing we had done up to that Absolutely. point. Absolutely. Our OK Computer episode was our OK Computer. That's where we really locked in, right? Yeah. Totally. Our In Rainbows episode was our In Rainbows, where people were like, holy shit, who knew this late into their career they had mm-hmm. something this brilliant, right? Totally. Zach, I think that by the fact that this is rushed and ill-prepared for, our uh-huh. Tomorrow's Modern Boxes episode is absolutely our Tomorrow's oh, Modern Boxes because listening to this album mm-hmm. in a cursory way for the last few days mm-hmm. is about what it deserves, in my opinion, your thoughts. I mean, I don't disagree. I mean, I guess I've been listening to it. Uh, this is not to be competitive or anything like that. But I think it was about like maybe two close to two weeks ago that we had our meeting, maybe 10 days ago. And uh, yeah, I mean, I I definitely had some trepidation about uh, remind if the listeners remembered that you alerted me to this album's existence on our Eraser episode, they remember that. 
I that's fine, but I was like, man, to to have to redisclose that, like, what all these tomorrow's modern box heads that are jumping yeah. aboard, they're gonna they're gonna feel that feeling that I felt in the past when I find a, a Radiohead piece of media, and they're like, man, this band's cool. Ooh, I like that part, and I'm like, what the fuck? They deserve way more attention than this, right. you know? Right, right. Now you sound like somebody who's like, it's like, hey, do you like Radiohead? And they go, yeah, I like him. Oh, and you're like, oh, yeah. okay, oh, okay, goodbye. Right. You're wearing a Beck shirt. And I had a conversation with somebody once where they, uh, we were talking about music and I was like, oh, I, and uh, Colors had just come out. And I was like, I really like this new Beck album. Like, do you like it? And they went, yeah, I like them. And I was like, Beck is not a, a, Beck is not a, a band. He is a boy. <laughs> um but no i think it's okay because uh yeah it, i mean yeah i i feel that um our radiohead cred legitimacy fanship has been well earned if you've been with us for any amount of episodes preceding this and yeah this one definitely snuck by in a way that anima did not maybe i was more hungry for for new radiohead related content in 2018 uh, than i was in in 2014 i am surprised that i, I didn't even know about its existence but anyways, to your, to your opinion, kind of and take on the album, yeah, it is a little bit of a sleepier one. It is not as good as The Eraser um, or as good as Anima, in my opinion. But I think that there are a couple of tracks that you know have moments I really like that should generate some, some, some good commentary from either one of us. But yeah, it's only 38 minutes, 13 seconds long. And each time it did feel like a bit of a, a labor, uh, I would say, than an album that, than most albums that are that short is kind of how I measure it. Well, why don't I start playing track one, which mm-hmm. is called A Brain in a Bottle. Mm-hmm. And if I talk- could put my brain, in, brain a in a bottle, I'd throw it into the ocean for you. This sounds like a Billy Joel song. <laughs> and I'd write a little note and I'd hope my brain would float to the end well, of for- the island that is you. I was going for a time in a bottle, uh, which is by Jim Cro. Uh, what is his name? Croce. I- yeah, yeah. Was that what you were going to? It just turned into a. No, I just I didn't know what you were doing. I just wanted to join in. <laughs> um, we could talk a little bit about some of the you know kind of yeah. background of when and how this was released and stuff. Oh, but sure. To me, th- unless you disagree, to me the first track of Brain in the Bottle is is prime for talking over. What do you think? Yeah, I think that's great because I do have some background information. And I bet we have similar info to that is, I think, uh, just as interesting as the album itself pertaining to the way it was released. Um, oh, do you mean of, not very? <laughs> well, <laughs> you know, uh, the, the method with which it was uh, available, made available to the public, I think is, is quite interesting. But I'm comfortable yeah. talking over the song. Yeah. And, and let me just uh, let you go on that. I will say, I think that right away it's just what we should say is this is the most electronic focused Mm -hmm. work from tom or you know the radiohead camp in general that we have covered so far and i do think that that kind of uh is in harmony with its release strategy with which why don't you talk about zach yeah absolutely oh man that was very seamless walker um and i would also when you said the uh Tom and company or whatever it was you said, I would say even Stanley Donwood's artwork that he contributed. This is the most sterile, uh, not like kinesthetic piece of art that he's produced. Sure. Yeah. It's the most, uh, yeah, it's not at the top for me. 
but uh, yeah, I mean, it's just, it's just a unique uh, release strategy. So last, or no, in a future episode, I will sort the, uh, I will cite the book uh, Life in a Glass House by John Azelwood. And that's where I pull most of this information, which can be found in a much more condensed form uh, on Wikipedia. But he just dives into it a little bit more. But listeners, you can follow along if you buy the book or uh, pull up the internet and <laughs> maybe read along a little bit as well. But um, yeah, uh, in, t- in 2013, Tom York and Nigel Godrich were quite vocal about the way Spotify is sort of, and they still are doing this to this day, that they have like pretending as if they have solved the uh, the issue of folks not wanting to purchase physical media any longer and by purchasing all the music ever and charging users a subscription fee per month that that somehow is going to uh, level out to the artist being compensated properly or fairly and or motivate people to try and get into the music business which just a note on that like people don't generally become artists uh, for the rare opportunity to make shitloads of money. But I do think that art needs to be thought of in the public consciousness or in a business sense. Like, how can we attract people for multiples of reasons, right? You know, like starving artists to me is a passe and outdated term. Right. Um, and art is like the thing people are the most comfortable, consumers are the most comfortable stealing. Yes. Yes. Like, it's, it's very, like, it's like oh, we like really tend to consider it very like, well, there's like the meme of, you've probably seen the meme where it's like a comic strip and it, it shows somebody and they've got something in their hand and they go like, mm-hmm. they're talking to another person and they go, hey, look, I made this. And then they <laughs> hand it to the person and the person they hand it to holds it for a panel and then just goes, I made this. <laughs> and, that, and that is like a mentality that I think is really harmful yeah. for art and artists that we all engage in. Absolutely. Yeah. No, no, totally. Um but I, I really, I just really like this aspect of the album because I uh, do not subscribe to Spotify. Now our podcast, it just like um, you know Radiohead, they don't make deals with the devil. But them being somewhat anti-corporate and so forth, uh, you can't not engage if you're going to. Um, it's it's impossible in my opinion. That is an opinion. Oh, on some level, by the way, I don't mean you know they're they're out there with lobbyists and so forth. But all I, all I'm trying to get to is that. The release strategy um, was, I think it was a, a, a BitTorrent release um, if, in 2014 um, that the album was downloaded over a million times within six days and became the most downloaded legal torrent um, of 2014. And by February 2015, it had been downloaded over four and a half million times. Yeah, they announced it 10 days before they put it out and then they released it on BitTorrent, which was unusual. Six bucks to get the album. Yes. Thank you, thank you. Um, and, and this was, you know, meant to be in, uh, not in revolt, but uh, I guess that might be the word I would use to the way Spotify, the way they conduct business, as I just as I just stated. I, unfortunately, um, going into 2017, this album was uh, added to further streaming services, including Spotify. But I do like that even at this point in their career, Tom York or Radiohead are still finding ways to engage with their customers, you know, in a way that has some sort of statement or message and is also engaging with the most kind of up-to-date technology at that time, right? And and I don't know. I would like to hear your thoughts on that, if you have anything to add detail-wise or not. 
Um, I mean, I agree with you. Uh, I think that it's especially altruistic because Tom only made about $20 million from releasing this album on BitTorrent. And so mm-hmm. I think that it, <laughs> it does show. No, I'm, 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 I'm chiding Tom a little bit because I'm a little bit irritated at him for this album. But I do think it's uh, cool that... Radiohead is continuing to, or that Tom York is continuing to try to uh, find ways to make his music accessible to his fans, that mm-hmm. they're not just playing to an audience of, you know, people who can spend $1,500 on concert tickets and, sure. you know, $50 on some, like, because the other way you can go with it too, right? And I'm not saying mm-hmm. there's anything wrong with this, but is to, like Jack White is an artist who I really respect, but he's kind of gone this way with it where it's like, well, I'm going to make the physical artifact of my album right. have all this stuff. And that's cool and stuff, mm-hmm. but it makes it very expensive to produce and expensive to buy. And and I like that right. they're kind of going, okay, how are people going to listen to it? this on their phones? Well, what's a, what's a reasonable price for something they're going to listen to on their phones? Six bucks. Yes. Where are they going to get it? BitTorrent. Okay. You know, it's, it's, it's engaging, like you said. And, uh, and I don't uh, have a problem no, no. with the fact that Tom made $20 million off it. <laughs> yes, I did see that figure um, uh, on Wikipedia. And then I went digging through uh, Life in a Glass House. And, you know, I, I, I'm not trying to be pedantic, um, but I do think that it's worth noting. I saw this <clears throat> was pulled from Billboard as well. I think Pitchfork speculated the same but billboard uh and this book i've been mentioning uh john author john azelwood took a different position basically arguing that and this is the same within rainbows and with the king of limbs after it was you know there's always piracy despite the unique release but like assuming the ratio of people who paid for the full album was comparable to subscription numbers um of spotify or apple music or itunes as it was at the time the earnings between one and six million for tom york are more likely um, which is, you know, not bad considering neither one of us had heard of it. And it's uh, for an album from the leader of the band, which is our favorite band. You know, so for him to have, it's much lower than 20 million. Is, it, and I don't know, this is what the book speculates as a counterpoint. Um, because 20 million is, th- there's no way. There, there's absolutely no way with the overhead, to, in my opinion, to to produce this this album. And it's not, Tom has not confirmed or denied either figure, right? So mm-hmm. there's still a great well, deal he, of speculation. Well, yeah, he it. wouldn't. Right. And I also think like this goes into like net worth as well. And then I don't want to linger on this. We can go to the next song after this. But like Tom has a net worth of $45 million, which to some um, people might be like, oh, you know, this, this, you know, this person who's seemingly like anti-corporate. I don't know if Tom is like a tax the rich person per se, but I could see him aligning himself with some sort of philosophy such as that. But just because somebody has a high net worth, you don't know what what goes into that and how much of that money is given to charity, is given to, you know, whatever. Net worth is not their bank balance, is all I mean to say. And I think the same could kind of be applied to this album. It's not an altruistic act. I know you were being sarcastic. It's I'm not trying to say that at all. I think it, it does play into that conversation and argument, though, of incorporating how technology is used and self-interest at the same time can often drive an economic result that is largely positive for most people instead of like the Jack White example. That, that's all I was trying to say. Yeah, absolutely. I, I mean, I think that like, 
I think that when R- Tom York attempts an innovative strategy, it is mm-hmm. with the idea of fans being able to afford the product mm-hmm. and the money going to the artists yeah. and the people who worked on it, not these faceless mm-hmm. corporations like EMI. And that is uh, an ethic that I support. Um, But I would also note that I think what's cool about this, because BitTorrent to me is a very 2011 to maybe 2014-ish turn of... I ascribe that to like the same way I do Napster, but of that era of like, oh, Mm -hmm. we're still doing the same thing, but like the the application or the whatever is maybe no longer referred to that, referred to as that. Maybe BitTorrent is still uh, how people refer to it. But I think what I mean to say is I think it's cool that Tom did a quieter solo album, unconventional release strategy through something as experimental kind of in terms of release as this, and that they didn't do this with the King of Limbs, nor a moon-shaped pool. I I mean, we talked about it during a King of Limbs that Radiohead kind of more or less replicated the Unrainbow strategy, but actually made it more favorable for them because there wasn't such an innovation to my mind that could take place as was the case within Rainbow's. And, you know, they're still sticking with that model. They didn't re-go back with EMI. But, like, this to me sounds dated, but not in a negative way, the way it was released. And also, I think this was the right album to take such a unconventional approach. Well, I think that you're right. I think it's also telling that they didn't do this with the album we discussed last week, Adams for Peace Amok. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think that, I mean, I think that this is a test balloon. And I think mm-hmm. that that's kind of why this album kind of sucks, in my opinion, is he's doing that trial run with something that they would never do. They're not going to risk a Radiohead album. Yeah, that's what I was trying to say. Yeah. Yeah. So so it's like kind of like, oh, these songs are kind of toss offs to see if this experiment is mm-hmm. the future of how they can release better music. Sure. I could dig Which that. is, I think, why neither of us had ever heard of this album. I know, dude, but uh, it's it is weird though. Like, I mean, I I read some of the reviews from from some of the publications I like to read reviews from, which is not a ton. Um, but I just find the reviews of of stuff that I love to like tell me not a lot of new things. Mm-hmm. You know, oh, that sounds very know it all. I don't mean it that way. I just mean even if they're positive, there's not a lot of they're not rich in detail, which I understand. You know, mm-hmm. um, a review may persuade me either direction. I try to stay away from them generally. But yeah, it is interesting to see like how uh, th- this is not was not as critically lauded as the Eraser nor Tom's future solo album, Anima. But, it, you know, it, it was, I would say, roundaboutly a B minus to a B plus when you mm-hmm. uh, net everything together. <clears throat> and I'm really curious, like what a negatively reviewed Tom York or Radiohead's uh, album would sound like at this point. You know, like there's famously a lot of art that I love in in the form of media and music, less so in music, but that was not positively received at the time or tepid and is some of, in my opinion, like some of my favorite stuff to go back to. And yeah, I mean, it's just like, I, I, I don't know why this was so critically lauded. Maybe it was just the release strategy or maybe people have Stockholm Syndrome with Radiohead and Tom at this point. I don't know, but I, I really don't understand. I don't hate it or anything. I don't hate it either. I'm going to start playing the, I, I, and I want to respond to what you actually said, but I want to start playing the second song, which is guess again, exclamation point. 
And this song is, every song on this album is credited to Tom York and Nigel Godrich, except for this song, which mm-hmm. is credited to Tom York, Nigel Godrich, and our old friend, Colin Greenwood. Zach is making bass fingers at me. And yeah. this is Guess Again, um, which this is one of the ones that I think is better. Yeah, um, I like the song. But uh, still not great, in my opinion. But um, I I do think that people have Stockholm Syndrome uh, about Radiohead. Because when I read the reviews of this album, they all seem to talk about how kind of non-melodic, not particularly interesting, and like that it doesn't sound like a lot of effort went into it, but then still kind of like trip over themselves to say that mm-hmm. it's still great. And That's I right. don't yeah. I don't think that a new artist would get that kind of credibility. The, I'll tell you, if you want to read a negative review of this album, sure. read the Pitchfork review. Because mm-hmm. they just slammed it. And it's like, and it was really funny because it was just like, it reminded me of how I I think feedback we've both gotten is like when we don't like something, people are sometimes like, okay, yeah, <laughs> you yeah. didn't like it. Like yeah. I've, I've, you know, like come out I've of a, a lot movie of or whatever. Of over the years. <laughs> yeah, same. I'm working on that one still. With no, movies, totally. especially, especially I'll come out of a movie and it's like, you know, the person I'm with, it's like, what'd you think? Oh, I thought it was okay. And then I'll go, well, I fucking hated it. And then an hour later, they're like, okay, you didn't like the movie. Thank you. Right. You know, this Pitchfork review was kind of like that, where it's like, the cover sucks. The strategy, the release strategy sucks. The hooks suck. The music, like, it just, like, went through every single element of it was like, fuck this. Like, right. and, and, you know, I kind of, like, Pitchfork is... Famously cantankerous, and we've given him a little shit on that. But I kind of appreciated it because I think that if you're Tom York and you are going to be that lauded, well deserved. Sure. But I think that like your days of kind of getting to put out a fuck around Mm -hmm. are kind of behind you, and I I don't like really want to hear it. Does that make sense? Yes, it, oh, it makes a ton of sense. And uh, listeners, I'm sorry if it was a little bit annoying to hear me trying to seek an interjection. But what I was gonna try and say, but I wouldn't let you. What if? Um, <laughs> no, no, it's okay. What if your mid thought? What if though this was on Pitchfork's uh, list that you famously and you brought up like the first seven episodes <laughs> of like how mad it made you that they were doing album scores that we could change yeah. if we we wish we could change if we could. What yeah. if this album was on there? <laughs> But they want to rate it lower. <laughs> They're like, we gave it a 6.3, but we want to give it a 4.2. Yes, exactly. I mean, uh, I did not read. It's funny because I was just saying that, like, not to sound, you know, full of myself. I really am trying not to. Like, uh, if something has an overall positive reception, I will look into that. But if it's a film, I won't read them in detail because I don't want the film spoiled. But I like to know, like, oh, there's a lot of buzz. And if it's something like from the 70s or 80s that was negatively received, you know, I'm thinking of a lot of classic films in that era. Pauline Kael famously ripped a lot of movies to shreds that are very, very positively uh, reflected upon. With with this one, I did not read that Pitchfork review. Um, but uh, I'm glad to hear, though, that somebody was had the presence of mind not to just fall over themselves. And particularly what you said about Tom putting out a fuck around at this point, Tom has never been 
Prince in his solo output or even in his output in general. You know, I do think that what's interesting about Radiohead is how hard they continue to work into this period in their career in a way that I love it. It doesn't seem desperate and it is fresh and new. But if Tom was putting out a solo album each year, you know, mm-hmm. like Prince or like um, Brian Eno or whomever, you know, mm-hmm. I don't know how prolific Brian Eno has been, but uh, somebody like that where it's like, here's music. I don't care. It's all ephemeral, whatever. But he seems to spend a great deal of time ruminating on his songs to what group they go to, et cetera, et cetera. And with the exception of that last song, which I really like and I think is a lot of warmth to it, and I really like the vocals, yeah, it, it does feel like a background noise that isn't super interesting and doesn't hook me. Yeah, you know what, too? Uh, the vocals, I think that's the thing, too, is it's like, I'm talking about on it. Like, I'm not listening to this and being like, oh, my God, this is awful music. No, it's not. It's, yeah. It's just, it's, I'm grading it on a curve of Tom York. And, you know, and so Tough Cookies for Tom, he's, in my opinion, one of the greatest songwriters to ever live. And Mm -hmm. so by that standard, I find this album to be pretty weak. The vocals are always good. And it's kind of like, that's just a given. So I kind of can't really give it a lot of points for that. And, and, and like, you know, I just don't care about, like that first song we listen to, Brain in a Bottle, that it's just like, <laughs> you know, and it's like, <sighs> these noises that they build, that he builds these kind of songs around. I'm just like, I don't think these are interesting except to the person who made them. Mm-hmm. You know, you I think he, are you referring to Tom or Nigel here, Walker? I'm referring to both of them. Okay. I think that there's something about these electronic noises that they're very interesting if you pulled them out of a computer. Right. But they're but that it, that's the end of it for me yeah. anyway. This is an extension of of Adams for Peace, although I have I I I this is so strange. I mean, I don't know. Maybe it's because I invested in the vinyl, which was not very expensive. You can play the next song whenever you like, by the way. Yeah, um, but, uh, this is uh, interference. Uh, but uh, yeah, I don't think it's that I invested however much the, the price of it was. Um, that album I found myself going back to within this project, um, which listeners might think is unfortunate or maybe that's cool. I don't know. But to me, I do think that there is stuff to kind of unpack and get into. You know, I I like the back half of the album, weirdly, right now, a little bit more than the front half. But this album, I think it's an extension of a lot of the critiques that we both leveled at it. Um, But like, not really worth, I don't feel it's, it's not pulling me in to investigate further. And what I really mean to say is I feel like Nigel, um, who's, who's awesome and whose body of work with, uh, within and outside of Radiohead, I really do appreciate. To me, starting with the King of Limbs is when I really feel like total speculation here. Nigel's ego really starts to inflate, and mm. and and I don't mean like literally like he became a jerk in real life, but I mean in terms of production. Mm-hmm. His background prior to Radiohead, granted he was a very young person, but was in ex- almost exclusively in dance and electronica. Tom's really into DJing at this point. Um, sorry, cringe. Um, but, uh, I, but that's where I think plays into the way you're saying that these noises might be interesting to them. And I know that there is a huge group of folks, uh, 
probably not only into electronic music, but in, maybe into this, right? You you think about anything that you're not into, and then you search the internet, and you go, oh, <laughs> a lot of people are into this crazy specific thing, right? This is no exception. But I will say, not having a great deal of experience with electronic music myself, but some, this is amongst the like lowest in terms of it, how interesting it is. Mm-hmm. And you know what? I'm not going to sell myself short. I do listen to electronic music. Um, I have several stations built off of stuff. Uh, I'm not an expert in it. Walker can actually describe how it's constructed better than I could, but I do listen to it. And I would say this album uh, represents kind of a low point in terms of that. It does feel a little bit rushed and not as layered, certainly not as layered as Amok. Your thoughts? I'm glad you said that because I think it's important, and I'm not talking for you, I'm talking for myself here. I I do always try to... uh, pepper my criticism yeah cover my ass thank you with the like the fact that i am not particularly well versed on electronic music and that is true Mm -hmm. right but my criticism of this album is not i don't like it because it's electronic music it's i don't like it because this electronic music sounds kind of hack like it doesn't it doesn't sound like somebody who is Mm -hmm. is doing their highest form of expression through electronic music. It sounds like Mm -hmm. somebody who is doing a lazy form of expression through electronic music. Yeah. And I'll tell you what, we're not to it yet, but that becomes, that's why I emphasize that the vocals are good. Uh Uh-huh. But that's always going to be the case. Tom York has a great singing voice. The lyrics on this album are fine Tom York lyrics, but they're still good. Right, sure. like Tom, it doesn't feel like he's trying particularly hard. They but feel they're confident. Still good. He knows what he's doing, right? Yeah. But he doesn't, and he knows what he's doing when he wants to make an er- the eraser, or when Radiohead wants to get together and do something like they did with Kid A, or even King of Limbs. Sure. Right. Like, but it's he. It's he doesn't have the vocabulary with this electronic music to just toss this off. And that's like what annoys me about it is. And the reason I say that is because there are instrumental tracks on this album and I do like instrumental electronic music. Mm -hmm. I've name checked them every time we talk about it because I don't have a ton of reference points for it, but I like the early more instrumental Daft Punk stuff. I like mm-hmm. Aphex Twin. Me too. Uh, I also like just, you know, like scores and soundtracks of yeah. stuff like that. The uh, The instrumental tracks on this album blow, <laughs> in my opinion. Yeah. The, the loops aren't interesting and they're not layered enough. Yeah, there's just nothing going on there. It's just like, sounds like a college bedroom project. <laughs> uh, well, I just want to backtrack to what you said, where you said he knows what he wants to do with the king of limbs right or he it's that's the difference though is walker is they know what they want to do with the king of limbs and that is but and i might sound like i'm correcting you i'm not i'm just saying that that's what i think is easy to forget is uh the and it's hard because the eraser is sensational but uh you really do see the difference and i think it's just this is what we will never know even if we could you know cover uncover stones such as we can with the Beatles with Radiohead you don't know how relationships work and how nonverbal communication works in the studio or verbal right and and you can't discount obviously you can't discount a Johnny Greenwood but you can't discount Colin and Phil and Ed's input too you really nicely put it 
I think on our Adams for Peace album that you think sometimes what Ed could add is like the rock, the rock and roll. Hey, this mm-hmm. needs more melody. Hey, I loved when you said that because it's like, anyways, that's that's it. Oh I man, totally... I loved when I said that too. Um... <laughs> I kind of derailed you. I'm sorry. No, you didn't at all. Oh, you okay. didn't at all. all. But I th- I think that you're yes. That's that's the miracle of the collaborative process of Radiohead, but. It mm-hmm. also just, it's not like Tom can't make fucking brilliant solo albums, but what we know about The Eraser is mm-hmm. that they had like 700 hours of mm-hmm. musical content yeah. that they painstakingly carved down to nine songs. Yeah, And this, it's clear that that's not what they did here. And that's fine. Like it's, But I just don't understand why... Tom York is so afraid of an EP. Like if you've got four good songs, put them out. If you sure. want to put them out on BitTorrent, do it. But don't call this an album. Don't mm. piss on my leg and tell me it's raining, Tom. See, I don't want an EP though. I of of even four mediocre Tom songs. I I and when I say I want the eraser, I don't I don't mean I want Tom to repeat. One of the brilliance of Radiohead and Tom York specifically is the avoidance and the rethinking of how to uh, avoid repeating, right, or, or repetition. And I admire that, but uh, it, this doesn't feel like a different approach. It feels like a lazier approach. I feel like we're saying the same thing. But I I've just really started to feel like. Nigel fancied himself maybe better at making this type of music than maybe he is. And I'm, sh- and mm. I know that he is innovative and was, I mean, that noise at the end of letdown on okay computer enough. I hear like seven bands from the two thousands in that, just that noise that do, 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 do. Here, death cap for cutie postal service, whatever. Yeah. But I think though, and, and same with like sea change, you know, but I think that at this point, not to tip my hand on a moon shaped pool, but I think that, uh, innovating less at that stage in his career uh, possibly maybe has some positive results. That's all I'll say. That's all I'll say, T. No, I agree with you. Look, I, I always talk about like the baldness of of the different band members on this, and I believe we've talked about. Um, yes, you have talked about this about how Nigel, you yeah. don't, you can't tell he's bald from the front, but then you see the back, and he's incredibly bald. And the reason you can't tell, listeners, look up Nigel Godrich's hair. It's because he combs the front of his hair into a like bob's big boy style spike right and then you see the back and it's just like huge fucking bald spot right Mm -hmm. and i do think that this is the hairstyle indicative of a low integrity person Mm. and that it's fine to be balding and keep the hair you have that's a personal choice and uh a friend taught me a man's got to go his own way but to me, what Nigel is doing with his hair has a deceitful vibe. Right. Uh-huh. And so... I that, love this. That very much plays into kind of what you're saying of just like, that is the hair to me of somebody who is like, yeah, I've made a few pounds with Radiohead. And they're all right. They're all right. But where, where my passions really lie is in these electronic forays that are do with thong, you know? 
Like this is like their like jazz odyssey. I feel. Like. <laughs> what, wait, what's a jazz odyssey? Jazz odyssey is it's Spinal Tap when oh, after yeah. no, it's their shark sandwich walker. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, what what's um? Oh God, what's Christopher Guest's name in in Spinal Tap? Uh, is it Nigel? Nigel? It's Nigel. It's Nigel. Yeah. <laughs> when Nigel wearing has a bad wig. <laughs> yeah. Yes. But when Nigel has quit the, it's like when they're like kind of at their yes. darkest hour, and Nigel yeah. has quit the band, and they do Harry Shearer's like mm-hmm. we can do jazz Odyssey, yeah. and this is feels a little bit like that <laughs> to me, where it's like, all right, yeah, you know, as I said, as I said in a previous episode, quoting my mm-hmm. girlfriend, quoting Ru, RuPaul, that's mm-hmm. fun for you, but what about but what us? about us? Yeah, um, let's go to the next song. Let's go to the next song where after all the shite I just talked, I really like this song. This is the mother load. What do you think about this one? I like this song and the song previous are probably my two favorites. Oh, okay. I'm not a big fan of interference. I'm sorry. Well, was the previous song the one that I said I really enjoy the vo- the vocals that have that kind of pounding piano line? Dun, dun. Anyways. Well, inter- the, the, the interference is, yeah, it's there's no drum beat. There's just a keyboard and vocals. No, I'm so, yeah. Guess again. I, no, I'm sorry. Guess again is is I I really like. Yeah, guess again's cool. I I, I kind of like how direct guess again is. It's nice Me that too. it has like a like a a, a bass bass snare bass bass snare. It's like oh, this is kind of like refreshingly mm-hmm. simple, you know. Now this yeah. one is I I do really like that the. Uh, backing track here all seems to be made of like vocal samples it's kind of neat I, and i like the the piano um steadiness and all that and and this is where i like the the mix of electronics and and uh manipulation of tom's voice um to your point on a muck and a little bit on uh king of limbs and correct me if i'm if i'm wrong on this but like the percussion can become a little bit annoying is what you're saying at times i I feel that it can. I mean, I like it because it's not doing it in every song. So I, I think it's cool in this song. If no, it no, was I doing know. this kind of offbeat on the hi hat in every single song, it might start to annoy me a little bit. Right, but all I was saying is that you said that about those albums, right? That the percussion mm-hmm. Nigel can fall in love with it too much. I think that that sort of because this song is six minutes long, which is fine. The percussion starts to annoy me in this song, which is the, I the first time that I've. Uh, I mean, granted, you you spoke that into existence, like within our podcast, but some things stick with you, you know. And like, I just, I I don't think that I would have. It's not that I wouldn't have had the bravery, but when listening to this album, I was like, that is starting to annoy me, and I don't mind admitting it. It doesn't have to be a more uh, complex analysis than that, because the things totally. I like, I, I like, you know, I love the piano playing. It's very simple. Go ahead. Oh, I wasn't. I wasn't waiting to jump in. I, no, no, I, I, I was out of things to say. <laughs> I, I like this song. I don't. I also think that that's totally a fair criticism. This is my favorite song on the record, and yeah. um, even this is not one that I would be like, "Oh my god, you got to check out Tom York and Radiohead." Like, you need to listen to the Motherload, you know. But I do no, think it's a nice yeah. song. And I do think it's, it is very like house, you know, like this is very like, <laughs> this feels kind of like, you know, London discotheque, <laughs> 90s music a little bit, but I do really like it. 
Like I, yeah. I can kind of see it. Uh, it sounds like it would be on like the train spotting soundtrack or something. Totally, train spotting uh, too, the better one. Um, you know what it reminds me of? Oh my god, I forgot that they made train spotting too. Is uh, it reminds me of the opening? Because I want to be clear, I really like this song. I just like the percussion starts to grate on me as the song goes on. Yeah, um, sure. it is near the top. It's sort of my favorite. It reminds me of the opening track from the Eraser, the Eraser. And I can not, see it's that. nowhere near as good, but just the relentlessness of the piano riff and how, I mean, yeah, I mean, I think you can hear it. They're both authored by Tom York, but this one specifically, melodically, reminds me of that song in more than, you know. I also think, I, I think I like the lyrics to this one too, because it's like kind of talking about like sad clowns and stuff. So I kind of relate to, <laughs> relate to it. Uh, Another clown jumps off the ladder, a shallow pool, but it doesn't matter the way it goes, the way it goes. He's falling through barriers and hedgerows. A hollow man, hollow hand puppet. Where's the applause when you need it? I like that. Um, you know, but yeah, as a struggling- uh, Walker, um, Sorry, if, uh, if I could, I just want to tell you, uh, we, there's no time uh, to analyze um, and think things through on this song um, to try and make sense of them. <laughs> Uh, it's just a self-fulfilling prophecy of endless possibility. That's how interesting I think the song and the lyrics are uh, of this song, is I, I just want to talk about the song Analyze, uh, shoehorn them into the conversation and interrupt Walker. Yeah, no, I mean, none of this is, none of this is like Tom trying his hardest, including the lyrics. I, I agree with that. It's, you can feel, you can feel... In the eraser, I think you can feel the pressure of Hell yeah. I'm in Radiohead and now I'm making a solo album, so it better be fucking good. Like I and and this one you can feel the lackadaisical nature. In this one you can feel the laissez faire attitude of I'm in Radiohead. This yeah. is another solo album. I made King and, of Limbs. <laughs> which I, I've come to love actually, but <laughs> Zach, this sad clown illusion is reminding me of something um, because we've embarrassed you on this episode. I think it's only fair that I embarrass myself. I don't know if I've ever told you this. Did, did you know that when I was a child that I painted a picture of a sad clown oh, and and oh, was like, and was like, in my mind, I was like, huh, wow, really makes you think. It does. Like, well, Sure, what, the concept is, of a sad clown. How old were you then? But I don't know, 10? That's impressive for a 10-year-old. Zach, there's no way I didn't just see that somewhere. Oh, but oh, in my okay. mind, it was like, wow, he's a clown, but he's <laughs> sad. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So well, pretty, who would have thought? I, yeah, right, exactly. Not what you expected, is it? But I guess me and my <laughs> imaginary friend just do things a little differently. You're way too nice to me. I was telling that as like a like, just no. God, what like? I can't believe that you gotta, like, as a you gotta small child. I just think it's just like that. What is it about me that even as a small child I was just going like, take me seriously, world. <laughs> everybody, I know everybody. God, you know, I mean, we're all trying to egot, but most of us can only ego. <laughs> I'm not trying to eat that. I don't see that happening for me. You don't want unless an, they start an giving Emmy, out a Grammy, an Oscar, and a Tony. I don't know. Do you think that they'll start giving those things out for Radiohead podcasts? Uh, yes, in our lifetime. Okay. Well, then yeah. I think that we should eat that. Yeah. Um, yeah. 
This next song is Truth Ray. And while we're listening to it, uh, I want to talk about something else that you said, Zach. Please. You brought up the album we discussed last week, Amok by Adams for Peace. Mm -hmm. I have to issue a rare, if not our first ever correction on this show, which is not to say that we haven't been wrong on the show before, but if I have been wrong on the show in the past, my uh, response has been to double down. I think I, I think that's all you sometimes that's all you gotta do is people will be like, hey, that thing you said was kinda like was either incorrect or ignorant or wrongheaded, and you go, No, 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 you are that incorrect and actually you're silencing me. This is yeah. the way of podcasts, usually, right? But in our last episode, I was very confident about a muck being an album that I enjoyed parts of but ultimately found kind of dismissible. And I I believe I said a few times, I don't see myself going back to this. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that really bugged me at the time. Really? No, not really. I'm just joking. But I mean, I I just had an opposite reaction. But yeah. (laughs) Sure. Well, Zach, now comes the correction. I think it was moments after we turned the mics off. Oh, shit. That this album got its goddamn hooks into me. Right? That's what's happened to me, dude. Really? Uh, we're talking a buck, right? Yes. And yeah, I'm dude, like, I was just saying. And I'm like, ago, this is kind up. of. It's it, with me. All of a sudden, I'm like, all of a sudden, this is the <laughs> this is the Radiohead thing that I'm kind of like wanting to listen to the most, right? Dude. Stop it. Shut up. That's <laughs> I, I, that's, I mean, it's not that crazy. I was just saying that a second ago, but it's like, it, 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 I, I wasn't like, I'm ashamed to admit this, but like, I'm more baffled. I'm like, it's funny because. I I think I have a tendency to maybe try and like Radiohead stuff a little bit more um, and not in a way that's like, I'm going to be the positive one, blah, blah, blah. I just think that you're not afraid to say like if something doesn't hit as much with you, which I really like and I think is good for the show. But that one, though, I'm like, huh? I don't know. You know, like I did spend a, quite a bit of time with it, but I've been thinking about different tracks in my mind when I'm doing different shit, even when I'm not listening to it. And I'm like, I think I just, and I just finished drawing a giant picture with, uh, you know, an homage to it. So I, it's definitely been in my consciousness visually, but I think there's a lot to it. It kind of, it was like, man, I, I almost wish that we'd recorded the episode a couple weeks later because I guess that this yeah. one was just a grower for me. And, and I am, I, nothing that, nothing on it that, didn't really grab me has like become my favorite or anything but Uh i appreciate the album overall a lot more than i did at the time we recorded and the stuff that i liked at all i like a lot now and i i would love if there was a version of that project that existed that had a little less looping and a little more live playing but that's not what they made and the thing they made is pretty cool and I feel like I need to on pod be like I like Amok at least at least two points more than I said I did at the time of our episode to the point where I was kind of annoyed I had to listen to this because I'm like I want to be listening to Amok right now man dude although I should say this song we're playing I like Truth Ray I do for, too. Uh, for what it is, which is a slight Tom York song, but I like it. No, but some of the songs that I, I'm not as uh, fond of on this this record, like actively, I'm like, man, I want this to be over. 
Uh, whereas the, the good ones, I'm just kind of like, okay, that went by like a truth ray does. Um, but uh, I do like some of the noises in this one. Um, I guess I lost sight of what I was trying to say, but I just, yeah, amok, there's just something that it, it really got its its uh, tendrils into, into my mind. And I've really, really enjoyed going back to it. And, you know, we were talking about that, like we're a little spoiled with Tom York's vocals, but I do really like the vocal lines. And I, I find there's much more guitar present than maybe we were giving it credit for at the time. Like, I think oh, interesting. Really fun to. Well, I mean, you pointed it out, like that we don't hear Tom. We both pointed out in different songs, actually. We don't hear Tom playing the way he does on that album, in in other projects necessarily, and that's just one element of of many that I've found. Like, ooh, I like this deserves more listens. That's all. That's interesting. Yeah, I'd like to listen to it more with that in mind, actually. And I think it's notable when compared to this album, which I would say is guitar free. It is, yeah. Um, At least and, in the sense that we're used to hearing it, you know. Yeah, exactly. There might be there might be guitars run through a bunch of different stuff to where it's unrecognizable. Mm-hmm. Uh, we call that the Ed treatment, but um, I like Truth Ray. Nigel at this point. Yeah, exactly. I like that we're finding somebody new to be like our punching bag. Because uh, uh, because honestly, it's it's a little harder for me to. Mm-hmm. have Ed be the go-to of who we pick on after hearing that track mm-hmm. from EOB that we both liked a lot. I didn't it, really know I could feel so cold till okay. I found <laughs> my Shangri-La. That song? <laughs> <laughs> Listeners, if what? you could have seen the amount of oh, stink was... Zach put on his expression while he did that. It was in... I, I saw... The the home office melted away and concert lights faded in. <laughs> ah, ah, you all, everybody, you all, everybody. Remember that song? This podcast has really gone downhill quickly. <laughs> don't you hate? Don't you hate when the fake music or TV oh, show in yeah. a in a within a TV show? It's like in no world could I ever believe that this is a real thing that is a hit with people. And the two examples at the top, go ahead. Nope. Keep going. I'm I'm in. The two examples at the top of my head are you all, everybody. Now I know lots of, which is the song by drive shaft, the band drive shaft in loss. I know tons of stupid songs through (laughs) all eras have become yeah. (laughs) Acting like such stupid people. Like, okay, here's an example. Expensive clothes. Here's an example of the opposite. That thing you do. That movie Hell yes. is flawed, but the movie would not work if you could not believe that that song would be a hit at the time it's portrayed. And you 100% do. It sounds like a pop hit from that time that people would listen to, mm-hmm. that gets stuck in your head in a earwormy way. You All Everybody sounds like a song that a production assistant like riffed on set. No, it sounds like <laughs> Rebecca Black wrote it um, <laughs> or didn't write it. But yes, yeah, same same deal. Dude, uh, the cool thing about um, that thing you do is not only is everything you said so right on, but it has a ton of chords in it as songs in that era do because those folks. That uh, thing well, you do? Yes, dude. And it goes to the minor. 
you're doing that thing you do. It was on a major and then it goes to the minor. Yep. Just just like, you know, but uh Well, it's yeah, written I by mean, a real awesome song, Adam Schlesinger of Fountains of Wayne, who, you know, yes. has written actual hit songs. And that's the I guess that's it. And he's so gifted at that because he also wrote uh, all the songs, or if not all, a lot of the songs in uh, the Josie and the Pussycats movie. Mm. And he writes songs for, it's you know, very funny, much funnier than it has any right to be for what it is. Um, But there's a boy band in that called Du Jour. Mm -hmm. And the songs that he writes for them, you're like, oh, these sound like he could have sold these to NSYNC or the Backstreet Boys, like if they weren't in this movie. So but I just wish I, they, they would get, it's like, just pay, pay a songwriter, like pay mm-hmm. someone who's written songs for Christina Aguilera or Beyonce or something to like, write you a hook for your fake song. Well, I'm supposed Christina to believe Aguilera this is a famous her rock own song star. Swalker. Christina is Aguilera writes her own song. I hope, so. I mean, I just want to believe that because I love Christina so much. Um, not oh, I didn't mean it as a knock. Had. I just think, I think <laughs> most of these pop stars yes. collaborate with, uh, oh, and, 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 yeah, like, and then even um, Frank. Yeah, there's somebody who is really mm-hmm. famous for she yeah. wrote like Toxic and Genie in a Bottle. Yeah. And like, I forget her name, but um, anyway. Well, it, if I could just last a little bit on that, because I think, yeah, it's taken us this long to get there. But I think that that is music's version of the Uncanny Valley to where it's like, because a songwriter or somebody who has some musical knowledge of sorts, right? had to have written that dumb song from the show Lost. But yeah, and obviously, but that person still knows how to write songs, just like the the better choice of the guy who wrote that thing you do. Um, but there's something about it where I think even non-musicians are like, why does this make me embarrassed? Why does it make me cringe? You know, mm-hmm. and I think Almost Famous kind of does that to a degree, which I do not <laughs> like that movie. Like I, I've expressed before how much I love the movie Vanilla Sky, but the fake band that is played by really competent, good actors and well-dressed and all that. I'm like, why don't I believe this band at all? You still don't water. believe you. Yeah. No. Still water, you don't, you don't believe fever dog would have been a real hit. No, and it <laughs> totally could have been, but for some reason, it not, like none of everything is just kind of off. It's too rounded. It's, it's CGI Peter Cushing in, uh, <laughs> Rogue One. Yeah. Uh, anyways, I love go. that. Cause I, I, for some reason, I do buy Stillwater, but I also oh. think you're right. Almost Famous is a movie for me that is like, I'm not protective of it in any way. I'm kind of like, when I watch that movie, mm-hmm. I'm like, I know this is bad, but I really like it. Yeah. It yeah is yeah. how I feel about Almost Famous. It, it is bad and, and stupid and silly yeah. and uh, very like, so annoyingly, uh, wink and nod about mm-hmm. like isn't the past silly like it's mm-hmm. that the movie but I gotta tell you there is like I have like a verbal tick I drink a lot of LaCroix mm-hmm. and uh, many times uh, I will have somebody over I don't know why mm-hmm. I'm being coy about this when I'm with my when I'm with my lady friend <laughs> I'll be getting up to get. I don't know why. All of a sudden, I'm just like, I want the idiot. Oh, it's because you called yourself out for talking about your girlfriend too much previously. I know exactly. Yeah, it's just like, oh my god. Like at this point, people are like, I don't think he has a girlfriend. (laughs) So you have Uh, your lady friend over. (laughs) Yeah, I'll have my lady friend over, and I'll be getting up to get a glass of water or a Mm -hmm. Lacroix, and I'll ask her. I'll say, uh, 
would you like sparkling or still water? And if she says, oh. I'll have still water without fail, I, I will go, fever dog, scratching at my door. <laughs> Which is the only <laughs> line of fever dog that you ever hear through the entire movie. Yes, I know. Um, <laughs> it's the you all, everybody. <laughs> <laughs> Well, this is this is what I love about this Project Walker is I have a joke around uh, the beverage La Lacroix, um, which I know you know, but this is just such weird happenstance. So listeners are probably more familiar with the song uh, "Have a Cigar" by Pink Floyd, Um, but (laughs) the opening line is "Come in here, dear boy, have a cigar" in the studio version. Um, But but any time a Lacroix is mentioned, I go, "Come in here, dear boy, have a Lacroix." And I like to just cut it off abruptly. <laughs> but it rhymes, so. Uh, I, I, for some reason, have to give the other example that I was going to give you of fake thing in a TV. <laughs> I do. The fake thing in a TV show world that you're like, uh, right. in no way do I buy this for even one second. In the final season of the show Entourage, Johnny Drama is on a voicing a cartoon named Johnny Bananas where he's the voice of like an ape that looks like him and it's like the shittiest like animatics that you've ever seen and you're Mm -hmm. supposed to just go and it's supposed to be like a fox cartoon that's on the same block with like the Simpsons and Family Guy Mm. and it's just like I'm sorry you have to try a little harder yeah. To just make this look even slightly real, it, it just, yeah, yeah, it just it just annoys me. I love that section in the opening. Build your world. <laughs> well, yeah, no shit. I mean, it's like your HBO. Like you know, you have content at your disposal and creators and animators that can make this look good. But like, I love it in Mrs. Doubtfire when it opens and it shows that Robin Williams' character is doing voiceover work. The cartoons either are real or are fake for the purpose of the movie, and either way, they look totally believable. Totally. You know, he's not like some, and he's not Ari or whatever that fucking character's name is. I've never seen Entourage. He's like a voice actor and not like a household name. Anyways, right? Movies used to be Ari bad. is Ari is Vince's manager. So oh, that's sorry, the Jeremy yeah. Piven character. Uh, uh, you should you should watch the show. It's really no, good, and I would say it's particularly good in its portrayal of women characters. Um, oh, great. Okay. Yeah. No, I'm just kidding. It's it's seriously like. It, it's it's so weird, Zach, because it's not that long ago, but culturally mm-hmm. it is. Mm-hmm. It, you're like, it's a light year. We <laughs> we joke about like how much people love to say like you couldn't do this now. You mm-hmm. couldn't, wouldn't, and shouldn't. There you go. Yeah, <laughs> do this now. You're, yeah, yeah. You watch Entourage, and you're like, oh my god, this is like the last gasp of everyone being like. Yeah, rampant misogyny is cool. Like, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. Uh, uh, they should have called it posse to make it age even worse. <laughs> <laughs> All right. This is. Uh, <laughs> yeah, let's get out of here. Uh, this is another song off this uh, stupid album. It's called There Is No Ice, parenthetical for my drink. Yeah. This was a, 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 a title they were going to use for Hail to the Thief. And they're like, this is pretty dumb with the parenthetical. Let's go with yes. the good ones and save this for Tom's future solo album, Yesterday's Passé Circles. 
Oh, I mean, tomorrow's modern boxes. Sorry. <laughs> now, Zach, you, I do think this is actually worth pointing out. I think the naming convention on this album, again, indicating to me that this is an intentionally slight album. These are some of the most kind of like lighthearted or silly song titles that mm-hmm. I have ever seen with any Tom York product project. Mm-hmm. Brain in a jar, guess again with an exclamation point. That exclamation point is the most unradiohead thing ever. I don't like a, a punctuation. The mother love titles generally. Really? But the guess again. No, not not typically. Um, but you know, I'm, there's a few exceptions. But like, yeah, it feels too um, like Grimm's fairy tales when people do it. Or something, mm-hmm. I don't know. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, the adventure or you know, what it, it, it applies too much story to songs that I wouldn't think of as such otherwise, you know, or if they were that written from that uh, point of view or motivation, like this is a story song, I'm going to take you on this adventure. The exclamation point automatically makes me skeptical. That's interesting. Mm-hmm. I, I don't mind in theory, Tom taking himself a little less seriously with these titles. No. Um, but in this particular case it's indicative of an overall laziness that just makes Mm -hmm. me feel like why did you we didn't need to be involved with this you and nigel could have just did this for fun yeah 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 yeah. back and forth to each other (laughs) well i gotta believe too that tom york as we've discussed you and i as i've echoed jesse rimler uh former guest of the show um he said he doesn't get the sense that tom is sitting on like a mountain of lyrics or poetry and i clearly really latched onto that um (laughs) But I just think it was so well said because, you know, Tom's al- uh, Tom's albums, Tom's uh, songs tend to be like shorter stanzas with a lot of repetition. Not always at all, but like that is a thing that other artists have done that I think is like something he has done really, really well over the course of his career. But you got to believe, though, that Tom, even with we know this from the book Fear Stalks the Land, that he's writing out turns of phrase at any given time. And then they're sort of reintegrating them. That was specific to the writing of Kid A and Amnesiac. But these feel like ones that he's like working out and it's like, that's really good. eh? And Nigel, with his big bald head, was like, fuck, yeah, let's make this album. Yeah. Nigel was like, hey, do you like my single spike of hair protruding from my forehead does it totally cover up the fact that I'm bald as shit in the back and Nigel's probably also like he's probably trying to like bully Phil too being like oh my god Phil you're so fucking bald isn't he Tom Tom did you hear what I said about Phil oh so he's Polly now <laughs> yeah no, he's <laughs> you hear what I said Tom I called him Crocodile and Tony at that moment is we're talking about Sopranos folks he just is kind of like he's really Polly's really starting to annoy him that's an episode where they're highlighting how annoying Polly is for Chris actually but Tony doesn't isn't that impressed by that repeated joke because it's like yes I heard you two seconds ago yeah. uh, anyways folks watch that <laughs> show that ended uh, 16 years ago oh my god I mean I, I think that it's I think Time that is. it is almost well I was going to say just in terms of the relationship of the hosts of this podcast I would say that it is almost equal if not equal to Radiohead in terms of shared obsessions oh that's interesting oh yeah I would say I think that off, no. off pod we talk about Sopranos as much as we talk about Radiohead 
Sopranos does represent a shared language and a, a huge thing for us to just bond over whether one of us is watching it or, you know, I don't know that we've ever watched the show simultaneously. But anyways, but like we a lot watched of shared episodes together. Points. No, no, we have. I just meant like, hey, I'm going through the Sopranos right now. And we usually watch them like at different seasons or whatever. Who yeah. cares? But it represents like a shared language, um, something that is so, I think for me, Walker was one of like the, like Radiohead represented like a new level of analysis that I wasn't able to apply to story. Uh, the Sopranos really like taught me that that is like possible in whatever the the story is focusing on, right? Mafia to me like was like simple, like gangster or whatever, and that's so funny too because The Godfather has a lot of other meaning and, and death laden into it. But all that to say, The Sopranos I watched when I was uh, twenty, I you know so I was behind. Uh, it had already ended, is what I mean to say. But I I really remember that being like, man, there's so much written into this, you know. So, anyways, that's all. Absolutely. I like Radiohead more than The Sopranos, though. Uh, it's tough for me to say. It's tough for me to say. I don't know about that. But, you know... They're uh, uh, close. Somebody else I know already does a great Sopranos recap podcast, so Radiohead was available. Right, right, right. Just like Tom was available for this album. God. Yeah, so, listeners, this is There Is No Ice, parenthetical for my drink. Zach, would you like to hear my one-sentence review for There Is No Ice, parentheses, for my drink? Yes, please. I have no patience, parentheses, for this song. Oh, I love it. Let's move the fuck on. Nice. This is another uh, instrumental fuck around that sucks. It is called... It's a title, though. It is called Pink Section... Now, Zach, this song is called Pink Section. This album is called Tomorrow's Modern Boxes. Yeah. Is this mm-hmm. album about pussies? I don't know what it's about, but that I couldn't escape that that connective tissue uh, <laughs> uh, <laughs> as a as like a through line. Um, I hate the title of this song so much. <laughs> By the way, Be- huge I- fan of vaginas over here too. Sure, so it's just the title. And I'm not even not. I'm a fan of vaginas. I'm I'm yeah. a supp- I'm famous a uh, supporter of vaginas. I'm also mm-hmm. not. I don't have a problem with songs about vaginas. Ooh. What I don't like is this kind of like have it both ways. Yeah, dude. Like yeah. kind of like distance that Tom is trying to have from the vaginal reference here. Like Prince has already come up in this episode as he does in many. He writes a song about vaginas. He's like, this song is called Sugar Walls. Yeah. Like, I, and I only called this song Sugar Walls because they won't let me just call it Labia right. Minora. <laughs> Which, by the way, Sugar Walls, much better than, and uh, <laughs> much better than we should. Section. I'm not saying that uh, we should, uh, in our own lives, refer to um, Labia uh, in such a way. But yeah, I think that has a little bit more distance to Walker than like whatever the fuck this stupid song is called. You know, Prince. Yeah. Oh, Zach, also, we're forgetting that, like, in the last five years, mm-hmm. there was a a song that made a huge splash in our culture, hmm. and splash, no pun intended, that is very directly about vaginas, called Wet Ass Pussy by, by Cardi, Cardi B and Meg The Stallion. 
And again, I would say that Wet Ass Pussy is also a much better song about mm. uh, about the pink section than pink section. Mm-hmm. Now, Zach, I have Googled best songs about vaginas. And mm, let's see. Right. Let's see what we've got here. Um, sorry. Oh, my God, Zach. <laughs> I bet hit me. Sorry. Why, why did that? That really was tough to hear. Um, uh, yeah, that was awful. <laughs> um, now, some of these I have heard. So, so we've got My Neck, My Back, famously followed by My Pussy and My Crack. Wait, who's that by? Uh, Kia. Okay. Um, we've got, um, wow, this, the Bloodhound Gang is on this a few times. Let's not even dignify them with a listing. <laughs> Red Hot Chili Peppers on this a couple times. We've got Special Secret Song Inside um, and Sex Rap. Now, I, I'm already taking issue with this list because also on here is Nookie by Limp Biscuit. Now, I didn't say songs about sex. I said songs yeah. about vaginas. Right. And I'm also not... Okay, there's a song by another rapper I like named Cupcake called Vagina. I don't know that song. Uh, Nirvana has a song called Moist Vagina. I wonder if the Mm -hmm. listeners like hearing us say the word vagina this much. What do you think? Uh, uh, I'm not sure. Listeners, uh, uh, write in and let us know. (laughs) (laughs) If you are still listening to the podcast, um, there is also... um, Winona's Big Brown Beaver by Primus. Mm-hmm. Why don't add a Big uh, Brown Beaver? Let's yeah, let's let's listen to that song or yeah. the next song. And strokes it song. all the time. <laughs> what a stupid band. Primus? Yeah, I mean, I like them, but I'm also just like I no, sure. I don't know if I do. I think I like I respect the musicianship and I I respect the I respect Commitment. that they are unapologetically them. Yeah. But I don't know, like, I don't know if I really like a bunch of grown men doing a bunch of songs like mm-hmm. Wynona's Got a Big Brown Beaver. Well, that song is rough. I mean, but. Yeah, yeah. but also Tommy. I mean, what are their other really famous oh, songs? Oh, I like Tommy, Tommy the, Cat. the Cat. That song fucking rules. I don't know. It's is it, do we Do we have one more song, right? Yeah. <laughs> okay. So <laughs> that was the section. On. I would yeah. say that pink section out of all the songs about vaginas we just talked about, I think that pink section was the worst one. Mm-hmm. Which is now ironic, because again, huge fan of vaginas over here. Right. Um, yeah. And huge fan of songs. And you'd think that we loved when those things came together. Huge fan of vaginas, songs and Tom York. Yet those three things have coalesced into something as shitty yeah. as pink section. Um, Ooh, yeah. Zach, now, would you believe that Tom is now moving us from the pussy to a little further up the body for a closer called Nose Grows Long? Mm -hmm. Yeah. (laughs) You don't think this song's about Ed's giant penis? (laughs) (laughs) Oh, the listeners. Ed's got a a dick like an elephant trunk. (laughs) So I'm going to call it Nose Grows Long. Ed, I've got a little bit of a cheeky reference to your massive member, mate, on the on my solo album. <laughs> um, yeah, I'm sure. God, I love that Ed. Ed has gone from being objectified on this podcast for his handsomeness to us speculating about his genitals. It's really. I just mm-hmm. don't know if we're ever going to get him to come on the show. No, but would you believe, Walker, that Ed, if I could have my pick... So I have two two things I want to talk about before we end the episode, and, and I'll go the uh, the shorter one first. So 
If I could hang out with any member of Radiohead, and if I had to choose two, like first and next, the first one I would choose would be Ed O'Brien, because okay. he I've watched, he had a YouTube channel. He's done an interview with Paul McCartney. There's something really, really genuine about the way he, and granted, like, if you're going to interact with Paul, I don't care who you are, you're going to put on a smiley game face. But I've watched him do other interviews and talk. He's, he's just, there's something, there's some likableness about him which I'm not surprised, but like, you know, that's also unapologetically unintimidating, which I love because he's a big guy and he's, he's good looking and he's famous. He's in fucking Radiohead or whatever. The second, so Ed would be the first because if I had questions like, what was it like when Tom said this in the studio or when he came up with this or when Johnny added that lead line to optimistic and he'd be like, oh, well, let me tell you, Zach. And he, would, he wouldn't mind getting into it, I, I imagine. Whereas if mm-hmm. I asked those questions to Tom or Johnny or whatever, they would probably, Tom would revolt in anger and Johnny would say, claim he has no memory of such a thing. You know what I'm saying? Or, Absolutely. Or would, Johnny, Tom would lash out, Johnny would shut down. Exactly. And, yeah. uh, and the second would be Colin, because I do think that Colin is the second or third best musician in Radiohead, in my opinion. Johnny being the first. Tom really being tied for one, but I think Colin's proficiency on the bass guitar is maybe a little bit more standardized and and, uh, whatever. He's focused on one instrument, whereas Tom is so good at a lot of things. It doesn't matter. But I want to hang out with Colin because when they were touring the Kid A uh, and the Amnesiac albums, those are the tours I've watched the most live footage of. And he rocks out so hard and is looking around at his mates and in, I would say, the most obvious bewilderment of how good they are. This is just my take on it. And I think he would also similarly have a lot to kind of expound upon were you to ask him about the brilliance of the other members or himself. But I don't know if you want to expound upon that. I completely agree with you. I think it's bared out by the fact that those are the members that they make do all the interviews. Yeah, yeah, Phil doesn't really give a lot of interviews either, huh? He doesn't, he, yeah. I think Phil's fine. pretty quiet too. I think that yeah, yeah. Ed and Colin are the most comfortable speaking. Mm-hmm. Now, Zach, mm-hmm. I quite like this song. What do you think? Uh, I would say, yeah, it took me a while to get there. I've been listening to this album, not solely, but uh, pretty much on repeat for the last week and a half. And I was pretty not into it. Like, it's only eight tracks long by like the sixth track, maybe. Yeah. And so it took me a few listens to realize that. Oh, well, I, that's because the sixth the track is that bullshit. There is no ice for my drink. Right, 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 right. And it's so, almost like, the, 10 minutes long. The first, second, and third song I like to varying degrees, but I like. And then this song I quite enjoy as well. Um,. Now, I do have one other thing. I know we want to keep this episode not short, short, but relatively short. But I do have one other thing that I would like to seriously discuss regarding this album. But I've been doing a lot of talking here uninterrupted. No, go for it. (laughs) So I really like... I said all that cool stuff about vaginas before. I think think it's your... Yeah, yeah. And I was trying to add on. Like, I think vaginas are cool, too. I've had sex once. Um, (laughs) uh, I'm the only one who has proof that he's had sex once. So... (laughs) Wow. Uh, My kid... (laughs) <laughs> Anyways, um, uh, yeah, that's true. Actually. I mean, I'm just saying, you don't have a kid. I've never seen you have sex, so I guess we'll take your word uh, for it. Listeners, get ready for the links uh, in the show notes this week. <laughs> um, Anywho, though, I what I really 
thought was thought provoking about this album, um, all two of you who are still listening to this episode, is the title. <laughs> uh, I even okay. made a joke that it could have been called Yesterday's Passe Circles. I forget what type of uh, trick that's called when you invert something or say the opposite of whatever it's called. I was trying to be funny when I did that, but I think Tomorrow's Modern Boxes speaks to um, what they what Radiohead did rather on their best named albums in my opinion so kid a and amnesiac um in rainbows and the king of limbs we not not on all of them to the same degree but we really have talked about and discussed and thrown out some theories or quoted folks as to like what those titles might be invoking to me tomorrow's modern boxes is something i could imagine like being adopted by the right incorrect or sorry by people of a certain political uh like extreme like you know i i've i've heard people try to co-opt like revolution by the beatles as like mm. what he's really saying and, and it really annoys me right what i mean to what say he's revolting wrong. against is having to use somebody's preferred pronouns <laughs> exactly thank you no i i have heard stupid arguments like that though sure where i'm like yeah. who knows because john lennon's dead but i doubt it um, well, but, I'll shut up and I'll shut up and let you continue. No, no, go ahead. Or Orwell, Orwell is the number one, thank like you, thank constantly you. misappropriated yeah. to be like absolutely used used to make right wing points. Th- thank you. Yeah, and this one I think that might sound like a damning critique that it could be used like that because it sounds like what'll tomorrow's s- contained narrow minded ideas be like but they they fancy themselves like uh progressive or mode or modern this is just what i'm drawing upon it and i don't um i don't revolt against like having to use somebody's preferred pronoun there are a lot of the things that i feel like as a society those of us that are willing to learn are learning right now right sure some of some of these lessons are are, are a little bit like okay whoo i gotta kind of resituate my mind i don't think he's saying it like oh what'll tomorrow's dumb thing be or whatever i think it's rather like a little bit of both though like what what are tomorrow's ideas that are actually just a recapitulated version of the same thing and and i an analogy i will use is the fantastic film eyes wide shut talks about that in life and especially in the 20th and 21st century men and women or you know relationships it doesn't have to be obviously just men and women that's what the story focuses on is a, a heterosexual relationship fancy themselves very progressive in their ideals and in their their equality and treatment of one another. And yet, at our roots, we kind of default to a lot of the same things. But the thing I love about that message of that movie is it is not a defense of misogyny or or any of like these these archaic ideas that hopefully we can grow past. But it is saying at our core, and it's it's kind of poking fun at that's one of many, many reads on a very complicated film. But the uh, the novel Trom Novel by I want to say it's Arthur Schnitzler really really that is the message of the book and I would say Stanley Kubrick elaborated on it a lot and and the album title you know contrived or not that's what it made me think of I like that I have nothing to add because I think that's quite good and I I think you nailed it and fuck yeah right. leave it to you to to pull some insight out of something that um, I. Did not get a terrible amount from, but I'm still glad that we covered it, Zach. Yeah, I, I really liked the album cover or album title rather. I, I, well, no, I mean, I'm, I'm just glad that we covered this album in general, and I'm glad that I and I'm glad that I'm now familiar with Tom York's second solo album. Yes, 
Now I want to say one last thing about this record that is my final word on it. Okay. Which is that this album was listed in Rolling Stones. Yes. Best albums of 2014. Now, this is the definition of a legacy admission. This album is a Nepo baby and its parents are Radiohead and The Eraser. And that's mm-hmm. why we think that this is one of the best albums of 2014. I love Tom York, but he's never going to learn if we pat him on the head every time he does anything. So I would just like to say, I looked at all the albums from 2014. This is not one of the best ones. Uh, Here's a few, just a few that are way better than it, that if you don't know, you should go listen to. Um, Mm -hmm. We've got Vince Staples, Def Jam debut, Hell Can Wait. Vince Staples is one of my favorite rappers currently working. Hell Can Wait is a super intense awesome debut we've got run the jewels 2 ah that's That's probably my favorite record of 2014 2014. we've got d'angelo's amazing comeback album black messiah and then we've also got in the rock and roll category over there with tom we've got uh ty siegel's manipulator ty siegel makes like multiple albums a year he's kind of one of those like king gizzard style artists sure Um, but this is So he has a ton of records that I have not listened to, but this is one of the half dozen or so that I know pretty well and really, really love. It's a really nice mix of kind of heavy anti-folk and hard garage rock. It's great. Mm -hmm. Go listen to any of those. No, Um, no, wait. Oh, go ahead. Go ahead. uh, And my favorite album of 2014, and I, I get to take this even if you're about to because I'm wearing a Beck shirt, is Morning Phase. And listeners, listen to this album. Uh, It's... I, I listen to Run the Jewels 2 too more than I do this album, but this is a great one. And it, it did win, I believe it won a few Grammys. Uh regardless. It won album it won album of the year. Yeah, it's 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 Beck stripping it down, but without seemingly focusing on that idea so much. It feels very natural. And kind of a sequel a to Sea Change. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The Empire Strikes Back though of sequels, in that it's better, in my opinion. Then Sea Change? Uh, yeah, yeah, we're staunchly divided on sea change. I don't hate it, but I don't love it as much as you do. Wow. Okay. I, I, morning phase did not. Uh, other than the that single, sea change did is, not really stick with me. I love sea change. Sea but. change actually is better. I just, it's not. Neither one are amongst my favorites, but I like it way more than this Tom York album. If we're talking about short, uh, very pale gentlemen, Beck's morning phase is much better than this album. That's and it's also produced by Nigel Godrich. It sure is. So not only is Tomorrow's Modern Boxes not one of the best albums of 2014, it's not even the best Nigel Godrich album of 2014. But mm-hmm. Zach, I'll tell you what, it is not the worst album of 2014 either, because do you know what that is? No. That would be Weatherhouse by Philip Selway. So Tom, you're not the best. <laughs> oh, and it wasn't it dedicated to... Uh, Scott Johnson, the the drum technician. Oh, well, now I feel bad. No, no, I feel bad for for his memory that a shitty album was made. (laughs) Yeah, the final indignity that Radiohead's drum tech that was crushed in a stage collapse had to endure was his memoriam being on a Phil Selway solo album. Let me say this too. Nobody, no one in the world wants to die in Canada except for people who live in Canada. a good place to go isn't it yeah and even they like most canadians <laughs> deathbed words are 
can you just take me over the border into a real country? (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Oh, Zach, to me, this episode really This is our Tomorrow's Water Box that's following the arc of the band. (laughs) This episode's not very good. (laughs) No, it really had a loose vibe, a loose vibe, a kind of playful vibe, and Mm -hmm. ultimately a comedic vibe. Um, Mm -hmm. I had a lot of fun discussing this with you. Mm-hmm. And I'm really excited that next week we're getting back into the Radiohead catalog. Yes, Walker. I have a feeling next week's episode is going to be superb. Marrying the arc of the band, we, uh, well, I do, that might tip my hand that I uh, feel favorably about that album. But I just have this feeling, Walker, that next mm. week's episode and the week after that are going to be excellent. And I have a feeling that our Anima episode, TBD though, is going to be much better than this one because that album is really good. I know that it will because it's a better album than this. And we purposefully did a less good episode because this is a less good album. And so, yeah, if you're wondering how next week's, if you're wondering how the upcoming episodes will be and you can't (laughs) wait to find out, just go listen to the next Radiohead albums and you'll know, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. So listen to a moon-shaped pool, and that'll tell you about where the quality is going to be for our episode. Mm -hmm. Zach, this was a lot of fun. Listeners, we will see you next week. I have been Walker Glenn. I am Zach Glenn. Out of sync like this stupid album. (laughs) (laughs) And we have been Idiotalk Podcast, Tomorrow Never Knows Edition. (laughs) Tomorrow's Modern Boxes. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> tomorrow's modern boxes tom's tom's attempt at foraying into the sex song talking about how <laughs> no this is not how we want to close all right listeners we'll see you next week bye bye <laughs> idiotalk is a glenn brothers production get in touch with us at idiotalk.podcast at gmail.com or follow us on Instagram at idiotalk.podcast. And thanks for listening to...